copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to take it and turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to hopefully close up the book of 1 John. And then uh, as we continue through our summer, we're going to start our summer series uh, with some uh, biographies uh, weaved into some passages of Scripture that apply to uh, those particular lives. And so I think that you will thoroughly enjoy uh, what we've got in store uh, for the next few weeks as we, uh, as we wind out the summer like that. Doesn't sound very good, wind out the summer when it feels like it's just getting started, does it? But as we finish up with the summer. So uh, while you're turning to First John chapter 5, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you as always for your son Jesus Christ and we thank you for uh, his blood shed for us. Lord, we thank you that he did not stay in the tomb, but that on the third day he rose again, giving us eternal life. And so, Father, we thank you for the independence that you have given us from sin to worship you with our whole hearts. Lord, we pray that as we open your word, that you would make us more like your son. And Father, we pray, I pray especially today that you would feed your people. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, hopefully you're in the book of First John chapter 5. And just to stir you up by way of remembrance, uh, the book of First John is written by the Apostle John. He's the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, First, Second, Third John, also the book of Revelation. And so at this point in John's life, he's an older man. And I told you that one of the things I like most about older men is that the majority of them cut straight to the chase. Not a lot of small talk involved. Just tell me what the deal is and let's, let's keep rolling on. And so John does this very thing in 1 John. He's told you that uh, in God there's no darkness at all. And so if you're not walking in the light but you're walking in darkness, you lie to yourself if you say that you know him. Because you can't. Because you can't walk in darkness and call yourself a child of the light. He just comes right out and say it and over and over and over again. He says, uh, this is who Christ is. And if your life looks like this, there's no way that you know him. And he, he uses the word liar so many times just so that you'll reflect and make sure that you're not lying to yourself about whether you know him or not. Uh, I want you to see, this is very quick, in the book of 1 John chapter 5, flip over to verse 13. This is the whole point of the book of 1 John. John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so if you have ever run across anybody who's doubting their salvation, if, you've ever, uh, if you have a child who's wondering if they're actually saved or not, then you can walk that individual through the book of 1 John and he gives you kind of a litmus test for your life to see whether or not you really are saved or not. And I just want you to know that one of the things that I feel like the Lord has called me to is that I grew up in the church. Like I was going to church nine months before I was able to breathe on my own, okay? And so I've always been in and around the church. And when you grow up in and around the church, you don't always have a radical change that the scriptures talk about that accompanies your salvation. And so if you've grown up in and around the church, it's easy to just assume because you've always been in it and around it that you've accepted it and you've made it your own. And it would be a danger, a huge danger for someone to think that they grew up in and around the church and because of their, 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 the way that they're situated in the church to think that they're automatically in because of something that their mother, grandmother, father or grandfather did. It doesn't matter how many bricks your family members laid to build the church. It doesn't matter how much they gave, and it doesn't matter how much you've personally given financially. What matters is that you have applied the blood of Jesus Christ to your life to save you of your sins. 
And brothers and sisters, let me tell you that being an individual in the South who grew up in the church, it is not an easy thing to take a step back and ask yourself if you're actually saved because everyone around you is telling you that, of course you are. You've been here just as long as I have. And as a teenager, I wrestled with that. As a teenager, uh, finishing up high school, I remember praying several times, just making sure that I was saved. Right? I remember asking a question one time in middle school to my Sunday school teacher. This is what was on the table. Sunday school teacher says, if you could ask God any question that you want to ask him, what would you ask him? I was like, dang, that's a pretty good offer. And so I'm thinking about it as a sixth, seventh grade kid. And I write my question down. Am I going to heaven? Like, that's a good question, right? Like, wouldn't you like to hear it from the man himself? Like, yes, you're going to heaven. Like, the rest of you guys are not convinced. That's not was seventh grade layoff. And so I'm in seventh grade. And this is the question I want to know from God. Am I going to heaven? Okay. And so we submit it to the teacher. And the teacher reads it out loud. And the teacher laughs at it. So I start out, start out sitting in there like, all right, they're going to answer my question. And, and then when everybody laughs, it's like, ooh, maybe that wasn't the question. Now I was just kidding. I was just kidding. So they say, well, who asked this question? And I said, well, I asked that question. And then they, they all look at me. Everyone in the class looks at me and goes, well, why would you ask that question? I, I was a smart aleck kid, but I didn't say anything out loud. It's like, well, I asked that question because you said to write down whatever I wanted to ask God, and that's the question I had. But why would you laugh at my question? And so I left Sunday school that day not knowing if I was going to heaven or not because nobody dealt with the question. They just looked at me and said, well, you're supposed to know. Like, well, if I was supposed to know, don't you think I would know and I wouldn't ask the question? And so I'm saying all of that to tell you that it's very easy to go through life assuming that everything's okay and everything's not okay one of the problems we have in the bible belt is that we have people who are asleep all around us asleep and they're being lulled to bed by people telling them that everything is okay and gang everything is not okay if you have never come to a point in your life where you've repented of your sin and you've asked God for his forgiveness and mercy and put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and that he rose again on the third day, you are not going to heaven. And if you think that you've done that, but your life doesn't look like the apostle John says your life is supposed to look like, then that's evidence that you never did what you think you did. Because he says very clearly that if you think you're a child of the light, if you think you've repented of your sin, and you think that you're walking in the light, but your deeds are in darkness, you're deceiving yourself. And it would be a tragedy for us to leave here all deceiving ourselves. And so we're going to jump back into 1 John chapter 5, and this is verse 1. And he says this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So there's a lot going on here. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. And so, gang, you can't be on the path to, you can't be on the light path rejecting Jesus Christ. We have a world of people in our nation who, who like to say, God this, God that, God this, God that. And in the day in which we live, if all you're saying is God, you're missing the mark. 
You've got to be talking about God's Son, Jesus Christ. Because the only way to God is through the Son. And so you can look on TV and you can see people praying to God, praying to God, praying to God. And a lot of that stuff is hogwash because they're rejecting who Christ is. And they're trying to pray to God instead. And they're praying to a God who they've fashioned in their own image. And unless you're worshiping the God of this Bible who gave you life through His Son, you're missing the mark. And you're worshiping a God that you created. And so he says, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe his commandments. And so, gang, it's not just enough to love God and to love Jesus. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is that you love the people of God as well. So you can't claim to be a follower of God. You can't claim to be walking in light if you don't love the people who say that they're children of God also. So if you look around this room and you don't have love for the people here, it's evident that the love of God isn't in your heart. And remember from last week, we're not talking about this ushy, gushy type of love that's more like lust on TV shows. We're talking about love is patient, love is kind, everything that you find back in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a very difficult thing to do to love individuals. And so he says, proof that you're walking in light is that you love the people of God also. And then he says again in verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And so you can't say that you love God and that you're walking in light if you don't keep the commandments of God. You can't do it. Just like your kids can't come home and say, I love you, mom, I love you, dad, and then go off and do whatever they want to do. Their disobedience to you is, is not love towards you. You with me? Love towards God looks like obedience to his commandments. And then it says it's not just to grudgingly obey his commandments, but it says that a true love towards God is keeping his commandments. And then in keeping his commandments, those commandments aren't burdensome. And so it's not just that you keep the commandments of God like, oh, I've got to I've got to love my neighbor as myself. Why is my neighbor so needy? And all of these things. It's no, it's that you joyfully keep the commandments of Christ. They're not burdensome. And he said, well, what in the world does that look like? Longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. You read through Psalm 119 and every verse, like except for two, he, the author talks about how he loves the commandments of God. How the commandments of God bring joy to his life. He says that he set the commandments of God to song. Right? That's how much he loves the commandments of God. And brothers and sisters, when you're walking in the light, the commandments of God aren't burdensome to you. They're freeing. And you can know through reading this book, you can get to a place where you can read this book and you can, you can get great joy from reading it because you're gladly doing what it says and you know you're in good standing with it. Like when this book is condemning you, you're like, ooh, I think I've had enough for today. But when you're walking in victory, like we're called to walk, you can say, ooh, tell me more. Like, I'll have another. I'll have another, I'll have another. And it can be freeing to you knowing that you're walking where God's calling you to walk. So then you go on to verse 4. And he keeps going. He says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so if you are a child of God, you're walking in victory, overcoming the world, or at least you're supposed to be walking in victory Overcoming the world. There's a story I want to read to you. It's quick. So we're told that there's a soldier in the army of Alexander the Great. And this soldier was not acting bravely in battle. When he should have been pressing ahead, he was lingering behind. 
The great general, Alexander the Great, asked him, What's your name, soldier? The man replied, My name, sir, is Alexander. The general looked him straight in the eye and said firmly, Soldier, get in there and fight or change your name. So he didn't want somebody who shared the same name as him being cowardly in battle. So get in and fight or change your name. We all have the title children of God. We all need to be overcoming the world. And so if Alexander were your pastor, he might say something like, get in the game and overcome or change your name. We're called to overcome. Don't sulk. Don't back away. Press forward and fight and win. You keep going in that verse and it says that the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. And so it's, it's not you. The scripture says that the things that you're responsible to do over and over and over again is to have faith and stand firm. And God accomplishes everything that he wants to accomplish through you. And so keep the faith, stand firm. And he says in verse 5, who's the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So there's another story, a Civil War veteran used to wander from place to place, begging a bed and bite to eat, and always talking about his friend, Mr. Lincoln. Because of his injuries, he was unable to hold a steady job, but as long as he could keep going, he would chat about his beloved president. You say you know Mr. Lincoln, a skeptical bystander retorted one day. I'm not so sure you did. Prove it. The old man replied, why, sure I can prove it. In fact, I have a piece of paper here that Mr. Lincoln himself signed and gave to me from his old wallet the man took out a much folded piece of paper and showed it to the man i'm not much for reading he apologized but i know that that's mr lincoln's signature man do you know what you have here one of the spectators asked you have a generous federal pension authorized by president lincoln you don't have to walk around like a poor beggar mr lincoln has made you rich and brothers and sisters as a follower of christ You don't have to walk around defeated. Christ has made you rich. There is nothing in this life that you are left wanting for. So much so that the Apostle Paul, when he writes the book of Romans, he says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so gang, if you've read the book of Revelation, you know how the story ends. We win. We as followers of Christ... We win. There's absolutely nothing that we're left lacking for. It doesn't matter what this world throws at you. You win in the end. Paul's also going to say in the book of Romans that the, the, the struggles 
and the strife that we're going through, they aren't worth being compared to what's going to be revealed in you one day. And so he says, gang, if you could see clearly, you would see that the end is so much greater than what you're going through than the short amount of time you're living on this earth. If your whole life is miserable, the 90 plus years that you get if you're lucky. The end is so great, it doesn't matter how those are if you have Christ you win in the end. And brothers and sisters, that's us. Wherever Christ has you, whatever you're walking through, when the time is up, you win. So he keeps going in the book of 1 John. And he says in verse 6, and this gets a little, uh, we don't use words like this anymore, but I want you to remember that the apostle John is writing against a group of people that we called Gnostics and that Gnosticism heresy that they had, that Jesus wasn't really the son of God, that he was just a man, right? There was that belief that you couldn't have God and man in one body because God was good, flesh was evil, and the two couldn't be put together. And so there was a particular heresy out there that said that, that okay, Jesus was God, but before he went to the cross, he gave up his divinity and he wasn't God when he went to the cross, Right? That doesn't make much sense to you. That's a good thing. Uh, but that's what they believed. And so he's writing against this somewhat. And so he says in first, first John chapter five, verse six, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. It's the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and the three are in agreement. So what he's talking about is that there's three different things that testify to Christ being who he said he was. And so water, the, the Jordan, where he was baptized. You have God the Father speaking. You have a dove on the shoulder of Jesus when he's put under the water. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You all remember that? And so Jesus is baptized and he's testified to by God that he's sent from God, that he's God's son and that God is well pleased with what he's doing. There's a passage in the latter part of the book of John where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling his disciples what's going on, that he's going to eventually uh, be killed and then raised from the dead. And there's a voice from heaven. Everybody else thinks that it's thunder. And God the Father says, in him I'm going to be glorified and I'll be glorified again. And so there's testimony again from heaven, from, from heaven testifying to who Jesus is. And then Jesus is on the cross and he's testified to by blood. And so Jesus dies on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And God the Father is testifying as to who Jesus is when Jesus is on the cross several different ways. One is that everything turns dark. You following me? Everything turns dark. It's the judgment of God on the sin of the world. And the other things that happen, if you read through the crucifixion account, there's two other things that happen also. They have just completely left my mind. You go back and read them. They're all there uh, on paper for you to read yourself. And all of these things testify to God so much so that the centurion, when Jesus dies, looks up and he says, surely this was the son of God. And so you've got water, blood that both testify that, that Jesus is who he said he is. And then not only that, but Jesus tells his disciples at the end of his life, Listen, gang, it's better that I go because when I go, I'm going to leave you the helper, the spirit, and he's going to testify and bring things to your remembrance. And so we now have the spirit of God working in our lives, testifying that Jesus is who he said he is. And so in verse nine, it says that if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for the testimony of God is this 
that he has testified concerning his son. Verse 10, the one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because God, excuse me, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. And this is very similar to what the apostle John writes in John chapter three, verse 16, where he says, for Golly, my mind has left me. Maybe because, maybe because it looks like a lot of you guys are, are asleep. Maybe that's just a cheap excuse for my having a bad mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then John chapter 3, 17, which I say at most all of our funerals that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And then when you keep going in that passage, you learn that the reason that the world is going to be condemned is because they rejected the son. And so whoever dies, it doesn't matter if they're a mass murderer. It doesn't matter what their particular sin is. The reason that individuals go to hell is because they've rejected the son. That's the verdict at the end. Light came into the world and people love darkness more than they love the light. And John says here, gang, he says, the testimony is in you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that testimony is that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And so, gang, it all boils down to what you've done with Jesus Christ. Have you confessed him as Lord and made him Lord of your life? Or are you loving darkness more than you're loving the light? Then he says in verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And one of the comforting things is here is that he's not writing these things to people outside of the church. He's writing these things to us. He's writing these things to us who believe in the name of the son of God. And so why is he writing them to us so that we may know that we have eternal life? And so, you know what that does for me? That tells me that as a seventh grader, that I was asking questions that the rest of the church was wondering the same time that John is an old man in writing. As followers of Christ, we want confirmation that we're going to inherit eternal life. That's what we want. And if you don't think that's a big deal, you go talk to some of the people that I get to talk to at the end of their life, and what they care about is what's going to happen to them when they close their eyes for the last time. They don't care about working more overtime, bigger house, better car, better boat, all of those things. They don't care about those things. What they care about is knowing that they have eternal life. They want to know that when their eyes close, they spend an eternity in heaven. And John writes this book, 1 John, so that you can know that you have eternal life. And so I encourage you, work through the book of 1 John in your quiet time. Ask, if you're doubting any of your salvation at all, ask God, am I walking in the light? Show me through your word. Am I doing the things that I need to do? Does my life look like it's supposed to look like for me to inherit eternal life? Then he says this in verse 14. He says, this is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we will know that we have the request which we have asked from him. And so he says, gang, if you're in Christ, when you pray, he hears you. And anything that you ask according to his will is done. 
And he says, and we know that he hears us. And in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. And so we talked about this in the youth Sunday school class this morning. That doesn't mean that anything you ask that you get. Right? Jesus, at the end of his life, the thing that he asked for is, God, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Talking about going to the cross. Talking about bearing the sin of the world. If at all possible, keep me from the hour which is to come. Does he get it? No. He doesn't get it. Because it's the will of the Father that he go to the cross and he die and take on the sin of the world. For you and for me. And so, gang, just because you want it doesn't mean it matches up with the will of God. There are all sorts of good things that I feel like we as a church pray for that we don't get because it's not the will of the Father. And that's okay. John says what you can be confident of is that he hears you. That that God doesn't turn a deaf ear towards you. And so, just make sure that we get our encouragement from knowing that he hears us, not that he gives us every single thing that we want. Because bad parents give their kids everything that they want. Just for the record. That's a bad thing to do. You know what your kids need more than they know, and your Father in Heaven knows what you need more than you know what you need. And so going on, says this in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God who will give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. And so he gets pretty wordy here, and uh, it makes it look like, boy, there's some sins out there. You commit those sins, and that's the end of it for you. Right? Isn't that the way that it reads? There's sins leading to death. There's sins not leading to death. And so you may think, hmm, so there's a list of not okays, but okay not to die. Like, that's the way that it reads. Like, it does read that way, okay? Like, whether you like it or not. And so what is going on here that there's sins that lead to death and then there's sins that don't lead to death? And so if you walk back, just kind of jog your memory through the scriptures, there's some times in the Old Testament where people committed acts that they knew were against the will of God and God axed them on the spot, right? You got Nadab and Abihu who go into the temple and they offer up uh, unauthorized fire and God takes them out right on the spot. There's other Old Testament times where people do certain things and a and an earthquake opens up and swallows 15,000 people on the spot, right? And so do you want to know which ones are on the cause an earthquake list and which ones are the on the grounds that just you that's the Old Testament. We don't, we don't really have that list anymore. But there's some things in the New Testament that, that somewhat apply. There's a couple people in the New Testament that show up and they tell the people of the church, we've sold everything and here's all the money. And so they've lied to people before God. And they get taken out on the spot. There's people who commit acts that are against what the Father calls them in the New Testament. And it seems like there's certain times where God takes people out because they're hindering what he's doing. And so there's no hard and fast rule as to what sins lead to death and what sins don't lead to death. But people of God do what God tells them to do. People of God follow the commandments of God. I told you this before. In the Old Testament, when you read through all of the stuff that's tough to read, and you read through all of the sacrifices for all the different sins, there is no sacrifice in the Old Testament for a sin that was done intentionally. Why? 
Because followers of God don't intentionally disobey God. They don't. You can't be a follower of God. Know what God demands of you and choose to do the opposite. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen because John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said it doesn't happen. He said, if it is happening, you've deceived yourself as to who you really are. So going on. Then it says, and this isn't just, this isn't accidental sin. This isn't one-time sin. This is a habitual sin. You following me? This is something that somebody is caught up in over time. It's not something they, they didn't hit their hand with a hammer. Know that God said, don't say that. They said it, and now they're in a sin leading to death. This is a habitual sin type of thing. Then we go on. And verse 18, and we're winding down. And he says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. And this is habitual sin again. This isn't just one-time sin. But he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. And so, so here's the deal. When you're a child of God, the Son of God keeps you. Right? He keeps you. Like a, like a linebacker holds a football. Excuse me, like a running back holds a football. He doesn't just holds you like a good one. He doesn't just hold you like a piece of bread running down the sideline, but he holds you and he keeps you where you're supposed to be so that the evil one doesn't touch you. And then he said in verse 19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And so he wraps up his letter and he says, gang, we know who's true. We know who the true God is and we know his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God and eternal life. And so he says, gang, we know exactly what we need to know and we are in the truth. And how does he wrap up his letter? In verse 21, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Now an idol is a object made of wood or metal that people would bow down to and worship. It was a false God. And so he's, it seems like a weird way to end the whole book of First John. Guard yourself from idols. But he's just spent two or three verses telling you, we know what's true, we know what's true, we know what's true. If you're in Christ, you're in the truth, and you have eternal life, and all of this is true. And then he winds up by saying, little children, guard yourselves from false gods. Guard yourself from things that are not true that are imitators of the real thing. And he says, gang, Christ is the real deal. He's the real thing. Anything else is a false substitute. And so you want to you stay walking in truth? It's Jesus. You want to stay confident of your eternal salvation? It's Jesus. You want to, to know that at the end of the day, you're in good standing with God? It's Jesus. He's where all of your hope needs to be, not in anything else. Because everything else is an idol compared to the real thing. Following me? And so, gang, we need to be people who keep our focus on Christ and not lesser things. Because at the end of the day, your car, your house, the schools we send our kids to, none of those things matter in light of Christ. Okay? They're all important things, but they're not the main thing. So don't let all of your hope and all of your energy be focused on those things. But keep it in the truth, and that's Christ. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, you may have heard me say that a hundred times by now. But if you've done some soul searching, some reflecting, and you want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ today, I pray that you would do it. 
You don't have to do it during the time of invitation, but you're welcome to come talk to me while we sing our last song. Uh, if you're here and you want to pray for somebody who needs to be saved, you're welcome to come do that as well. Anything you need, the altar's open. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we wind down. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he is truth. Lord, we thank you that if our faith is in him, and it's in the right place. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for taking our sin, our shame. We thank you for giving us eternal life through your resurrection. And Father, we thank you for trading your righteousness for our sin. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, that today would be the day they do it. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us all to remember our need for repentance. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't lie to ourselves, but that we would walk in light and we would hate the darkness. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. Well, it's good to see you guys this week. Uh, it's always a pleasure worshiping the Lord with you. Hopefully you'll remember over lunch to break out your cell phones and sign up for our text message reminders. We're still going to send out a uh, monthly, not a monthly, but a weekly email. But uh, a lot more of our uh, quick announcements need to be sent by uh, text message as far as when kids are going to get back from different events and things like that. So hopefully you'll sign up for those. Also, hopefully you remember to sign up your kids for Vacation Bible School. And if you're a member of the Joy Club on your way out, hopefully you'll sign up for their uh, meal as well, the red, white, and blue dinner. I'm going to ask uh, Jack Powell if you would close us in prayer.